We are I. The power to have the edge over oneself. You know, is this ever being like a, a master goal for a populace? You know, we've seen all throughout history, all recorded history, you know, the very recent history, the current, you know, environment we're living in now and what the future seems to look like. That there's a, a vast amount of human beings that thrive to be able to have power over others. And is this something that should be accepted? Like this is for the air quotes, good of the people, the air quotes, you know, good of the population. Or is the alternative, the good, the better, you know, people conquering themselves, people having the ability to be able to, you know, look back at themselves and say, situation A or X happened. And, you know, I need to improve you know, myself upon that. We know whatever that improvement may look like. Do people have the ability to be able to govern themselves? Well, when we look at what the founding fathers of the United States, you know, came up with, it's absolutely yes. Because they seen that this wasn't happening in other countries around the world. They seen that this hadn't really happened ever in their knowledge and understanding of, you know, recorded history. And they could see how that this was not something that, you know, was going to just organically be offered by way of society in the future. So they set out these principles and these codes and these understandings, you know, and these checks and balances to make sure that, you know, the people, people were allowed to be able to govern. People were allowed to be able to govern themselves. And over the, through the sands of time, as those grains have trickled through the hourglass, through the sands of time, those systems and those checks and balances They've rusted a bit. They've rusted and they're still there. There's a resemblance of them there. But instead of being polished and well taken care of and understood and cleaned around and, you know, the, the light bulb changed from the spotlight above to be able to highlight and emphasize the importance of these checks and balances and these codes and understandings. They've allowed to be able to sit out in the elements as people walked by and solely had taken them for granted and, you know, a little bit of moss built up on them and then the rusty edges came in and like you see them, they're still there, but like they just don't quite look as pristine as they should. You know, and here in Canada, you know, we even embark down this, this new path, you know, as recently as the 1980s. You know, where we have our charters and rights and freedoms because there was a group of people who realized, you know, that our rights had been infringed upon. So you want to like almost 200 or over 200 years after the United States had drafted this, these documents to be able to create these checks and balances. Then only did we, you know, create a, a minor document that resembles something, you know, whatever portion of that 10%, 5%, 20%, you know, of that document from the United States. And even we see today, you know, something that is 
only 40 years old that we can't even hold the air quote powers to be accountable to this this document, this doctrine that there lays inside these sheets of paper, which is really just one sheet of paper with some very key principles that people have the freedom. People have the freedom. The government is there as a representative of the people who are in the country. Now that we've created this, this elite class, this political upper class, how can they represent the people when the people don't live in that same class? Life, as we know, when you have different resources, when you have more finances versus less, when you have more opportunity versus less, when your name carries weight in a community or a province or a country versus not, you have more opportunity than less. We know all this. So if the vast majority of Canadians and Americans don't have those organic, you know, um, those organic aspects of their life to be able to leverage. How does politics and how do politicians, how do they relate? And we see this, you know, in COVID times, sorry to bring that shit up about how all these people were so willing to be able to, you know, shut people's jobs down, their businesses down, lock them away in their homes and still, still collected you know, salaries in the hundreds of thousands to two hundreds of thousands to three hundred thousand dollar range. Never mind, you know, having all this access to, you know, driving services, you know, things paid for by way of tax dollars, all of these kind of things. They never got impacted or affected at all. They didn't have to forfeit their salaries at all. And if they did, they probably would have, you know, made different decisions if they allowed it to be able to impact their lives the way that it impacted Canadians and Americans. They would have allowed for that. But yet they didn't. You know, so you didn't tell me, like, how does that upper class, how does that political upper class even come close to being to understand what the population is like. And that's why all of these doctrines were wrote that we, the people, we, the people inside of these countries, we are the ones who run them. We are the ones who offer the privilege to others to be able to go represent us. It's not that these people are representing us because it's a privilege of us in regards to them. It's the other way around. It's their privilege representing us. And somehow and somewhere along the way, this got heavily skewed. And a lot of this is because, you know, people, all of us in the population stopped held, holding people accountable by just like, oh, they'll do what they'll do anyway. Oh, what my voice doesn't matter. And, you know, like this slowly got eroded over the course of time. Because every time I go to vote, the one thing that I realize and I see, there's a lot of the baby boomer generation there that's coming close to not being able to vote and expiring in their lives. And there's not a, a lot of younger people who are coming out to vote because they don't realize how much that vote matters because we've been born into the softest of times. But what happens there? What truly happens there? And when other, you know, foreign countries are meddling in our elections and we can prove it and there's not immediate and open public investigations about it, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So it's time that we all, we see this happening in the Netherlands right now, like Holland, 
you know, you have this Dutch farmers party that came out of nowhere in the election and just swept, you know, 17 seats, which is wild. They're like the strongest political party in Holland now because of the bullshit that, you know, the government was going to put all these Dutch farmers through. You see the protests of millions and millions of people in France because of Mark Hahn and his, you know, just absolute abuses of their political systems. You've already seen this happen full circle in Italy where that lady, you know, who got dubbed to be air quotes far right, you know, has now been presiding over that country for six or eight months. You can see that the the house in the United States is a Republican majority now. The popularity of the of the conservative party in Canada is an, at an astronomical high. You see, it's all around the world, all around the world. So, oh, where does that end us up? When do we get back to we the people actually really mean something inside of our own countries where it should? How can we call ourselves a G7 country where we don't recognize that the people, not the politicians, run these countries? 